Hello, and welcome back to the Kowski Cast. I'm Mary Kukowski, and this week we have a really special show planned for you. As some of you listeners may know, in addition to teen dramas, I'm also a very big reality TV fan, and the top of all competitive reality TV shows is, of course, Survivor. No competition there. We don't need to get into it. In light of the rumors surrounding season 40 of Survivor, which we can just go ahead and say, if you don't want any information on that, please leave now, because we're going to go ahead and talk about season Season 40 of Survivor. All winners. Scheduled to premiere this coming spring, we thought it would be fun to go back and look at my personal favorite season of Survivor, Season 8, Survivor All-Stars, because you never know who you might see again. There are three members of this cast that are planned to come back for Season 40, so exciting to see them. To break down this very special season with me, I have here another Survivor All-Stars super duper fan and known reality TV podcaster, Matt Ligori. Matt, we might be some of the only people who loved this season since you were the one who had this idea to go back and rewatch season eight. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell me where you came up with this whole idea? <laughs> yes. I mean, it's generous of you to say that we might be some of the only fans <laughs> of this season because it's very possible that we are the only fans of this season. Yeah. I, I don't even remember when it was, but uh, you and I were, it might've been when we were together at, uh, at one of the recent, uh, you know, know-it-alls events. I think, uh, you know, we were at the one in Philly together um, and we just kind of both realized that we were we were both fans of all stars which is a very rare find in the survivor community these days to just find somebody else who also enjoys that season not just like oh i i didn't hate that season it's like somebody else who was like oh no that's actively one of my favorite seasons all stars has always been like a top five season for me i used to say that it was my favorite and then people would start looking at me like i was crazy so eventually my ranking started to change a little bit where i would put uh you know seasons that i knew were better ahead of it but i would still keep it in like my top five just to be like, let me show you my love for All-Stars. So, you know, that's a long way to say we figured out that we were both fans of this. We definitely, uh, you know, this was a long time coming. I think we were talking about this months ago. So yeah, I'm very excited that we're finally doing it. Yeah, same. I have been waiting for an excuse to go back and watch this season for a long time. Uh, we have a couple things in common. I think both of us were 10 years old when this season came out the first time. And interestingly, I was trying to think about, was this my favorite season when I watched it the first time? Because I, I don't remember remember watching it for a first time. I only remember watching it for a second, third, fourth, fifth time. So I don't even know, I don't even remember watching it and going, who, who's going to win? I I feel like I've always watched it knowing what happens. And even then, it's still one of my favorite seasons to go back to. I think the cast in general, which we'll get into a little bit more in a minute, is one of the best of the returning player casts. And, And just the whole, the whole season in general is a really great mix of old school survivor feel with some really intriguing gameplay at the same time and some really memorable moments. Yeah, well, the first question that I I have, you know, pretty much for you is just uh, because I don't even know this answer. Did you watch from season one or did you jump in later on? Yeah, so I watched Survivor. I think the first episode I remember watching was either the second to last or the finale of season one was the first thing I saw live. So I know I watched live season two, but I was like six years old. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I I definitely, it became like, you know, Survivor family night, Thursday nights, we would all get together and watch Survivor. And then probably around season, I don't know, I think it was around like season six or seven or so, we had gotten some kind of new TV package where one of the channels we had just only showed reruns of Survivor. 
Survivor. So that was a time when I know I went back and that was when I think I, I watched season one for the first time a little bit later and and then rewatched all the first like 10 seasons or however many were out at that point, at least at least the first like six seasons uh, several times over. Yeah, imagine that was still a thing these days that we had a channel that only played Survivor reruns. Uh, I mean, I know we have like all access these days, but you have to pay for that. Uh, and most of us do. So, <laughs> but that would be a lot of fun. I mean, until very recently, and I've only gotten CBS All Access like two years ago. And before that, there was always the trying to find them on YouTube to do rewatches. And you could usually find them with like terrible quality or subtitles in other languages. And that was how I went back and rewatched a lot of seasons. And then I have been trying to find the Survivor DVDs because the commentary is particularly great and there's all the deleted scenes. So for some of the early seasons before they would put these type of things online, that was the only way I could watch any of them. Uh, other than that, we had a lot of VHS tapes with Survivor recordings. That right. Well, I was going to say, the DVDs are the way to go. I mean, the, yeah. the reason why I, I have so much love for this season is because the first season that I, that I ever got, I think I, well, it might have been I got this one and Borneo together. Well, for, to back it up, I guess, again, All-Stars was my first season uh, oh, wow. of, of the show. I did not see the previous seasons until much later on. I don't, I think I, well, if I remember correctly, uh, All-Stars definitely was my first season that I remember watching live, you know, on the couch with mom because nobody else and uh, my dad didn't watch it and my brother was not no he was like three years old at the time so we hey that's not stopping anybody <laughs> <laughs> so we watched uh, all stars together and that's why I think that that definitely has a big uh, factor in why this season was so loved for me I wasn't coming at it from the perspective of somebody like I understood when I watched game changers I think why people hated all stars so much or just one of the reasons because it's not fun to watch all the people that you're so excited to see come back going out so early and doing so poorly and then all the a lot of reputations you know seemingly get ruined just for people who you think maybe shouldn't have even been there in the first place to go on and do well. That's exactly what Game Changers was, and that probably was what All-Stars was for a lot of people at the time, but for me, that wasn't what it was. It was just these 18 amazingly compelling cast members, as we know, this is why they got cast, because they're so, you know, they were the All-Stars of the first few seasons of Survivor. So I was just watching these people put on my screen and create a compelling story from where I'm sitting. As, you know, I don't know if we've mentioned this yet, but you and I are both very big Boston Rob fans. Boston Rob, you know, and, and by association, Amber. And just the whole, uh, you know, having this season pretty much be their story uh, was just a lot of fun for me. So since I got those DVDs, I watched this season so often. Like, I feel like it was kind of like a Christmas tradition. Like, I would just always watch them around that time of year. Watching them so many times, it just, you know, stuck with me. And then as I got older and rewatched, or not rewatched, but watched the seasons that I had missed, you know, pieces started to come together. And I was like, oh, this person... Is is known for, you know, Rob Sesternino is known for actually being one of the game's best players, not just being some guy who went out fourth. It was it was a very fun experience to go back and see those seasons, but having this be my first season was, was definitely a unique experience. Yeah, it's interesting that you mention about, you know, these, these are the players that now we know are the All-Stars, and coming into watching Survivor All-Stars without having seen the other seasons first, you could definitely have that idea, whereas a lot of people, and I know that Rob Sesternino has mentioned that he's one of them, look 
looked at this as, you know, why are some of these people here? They weren't necessarily the all-stars of their season. People forget that Rob and Amber were, you know, Rob was a pre-merge boot on his first season on Marquesas, and Amber was a very quiet for most of her season. So these characters are, are bigger now because of what they've gone on to do after All-Stars. But at the time, I think a lot of pretty typical Survivor fans were not rooting for them to begin with. Absolutely. Uh, the fact that, uh, like you said, we're going to talk about season 40. The fact that Amber Burkich's name, uh, Amber Burkich Mariano, sorry, uh, his name was on the cast for season 40 just made me like, like that was the biggest reaction that I had. Like, I, I don't I don't think that we do Amber. I, there was, you know, a lot of speculation of a lot of names that were being floated around as this person's definitely going to be there. And then when the final cast list came out uh, and it had Amber's name on it, I was like, no freaking like no way uh so imagine like thinking that back in uh season two that this person was going to come back this person who didn't have a whole lot of effect in the season was going to come back and win a season and then be on the biggest season you know of all time of survivor many years from now that's uh not something i'm sure people were were thinking at the time and i had a really mixed reaction to that likewise with you that was my biggest wow i did not expect to see this coming actually rob was my second wow not that he hasn't come back a lot but it's it's the fact that we had known at that point that him and Sandra were going to be on season 39 as coaches. And so I assumed, oh, they got them to be coaches because they said no to season 40. That was my gut. And so when they both were announced to be on season 40, I was even more confused of what they were doing. And (laughs) I have always maintained, oh, Amber's never coming back. She won. They don't need the money. And she's got four young daughters at home. And so she just doesn't need this aggravation, basically. That was, I was so shocked blown away that she was coming back. I think it's going to be really, really interesting to look at the only double winner survivor married couple coming back and playing together. You know, we've had blood versus water seasons where everyone's paired up and we've had seasons where people know each other or friends or maybe even dating, but this is a little bit different here. It's a, yeah, it's a completely different experience, what we're about to see. And the fact that, you know, we've been so excited for it. I mean, point, what is it now? Like the end of October. Uh, so the season's going to be coming up in like probably half the amount of time that it is since we found out that it was coming out and you know I remember when uh, uh, when Game Changers was was happening and just the anticipation like oh my god this cast is so cool which of course was you know disappointing with the results of that season but it just you know it's going to be so insane when it actually shows up uh, and you know a takeaway that I have which uh, I'm not sure how much we've set up so far uh, for what we're going to be doing today but we you know I, we just finished watching or at least I did <laughs> like today just finished rewatching the first two episodes of this season and it's so crazy to me that uh, my biggest takeaway is that the winner Amber was barely in those two episodes you know we we did see a little bit of her but you know we're all you know hyped up for she's going to be back and whatever Uh, she was completely like not there uh, to start the season off Yeah, and on the other end of the spectrum, Ethan Zahn, who's also coming back for season 40, did have a pretty prominent role in the first two episodes, but not a positive one. No. (laughs) So that's another thing that's going to be interesting. And that his his storyline in these first two episodes of All Stars is some of the most old school mentality from these first two episodes. And I think that he's, uh, it's going to be very interesting seeing him come back and dealing with that because, let's see, Ethan, Ethan hasn't played since All Stars. -Stars. Yeah. So he 
he is probably also the one of the deepest cuts coming back and, and playing again. Yeah, um, and he's obviously gone through a lot since then, uh, you know, yeah. battling cancer, beating cancer. And, uh, you know, he, he's done more charity work than I could ever think of in my entire life. Uh, so, you know, he's been living an incredible life, uh, you know, in many ways since his stint on Survivor. So, you know, his story on season 40, uh, I mean, obviously season 40 is going to have the, uh, the edge of extinction, regardless of how you feel about that. We are going to probably see most of these people for the whole season. Uh, so I'm sure we're going to get plenty of updates on from Ethan about his life in the past few years, how Survivor played an impact in that. Uh, and, you know, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these people, uh, Ethan, Tina, Hatch, you know, they, the second time that they played, you really can't take that into account when looking at them as Survivor players. You're not going to look at Hatch and say, oh, well, you know, he got voted out early in uh, in All-Stars. He's probably not that good. Uh, Tina was the first one out. Obviously, you know, she's she's overrated. Uh, and you can't like, like you can't look at that and say that's who these people are as players. So the fact that Tina got to play again uh, a few years ago and kind of redeem herself on that was awesome for her. And now Ethan's going to get that chance to kind of be like, all right, well, I am. Uh, you know, I'm not the player that I was in All-Stars, I guess. So since you said that you started with season eight, when did you go back and watch those first several seasons? It wasn't for a little while after. I Because I had the Borneo DVDs uh, at the same time that I got All-Stars. So I did watch that season pretty quickly. And I probably rewatched it almost as often as All-Stars. But All-Stars was definitely my preferred choice to, to you know, put in the PlayStation 2 and watch on DVD. Uh, but I didn't watch, like, I, I think I watched Australian Outback first and then eventually got to like uh, three through six later on with like Thailand taking forever for me to get to. I don't know why I took so long to get to it, but I didn't watch Thailand until like maybe six years ago or something like that. It, it definitely took a while to get there. Yeah. So what was your opinion on Ethan when you eventually saw his first season? I don't know if I had a whole lot of opinion. I just like, you know, knowing Ethan from All Stars, it was like, all right, this guy seems pretty nice. And, uh, you know, he does, he wasn't like a very big character, but it wasn't really his season. There wasn't a whole lot of story around him besides, all right, he's a winner. People want to get rid of him. Even his closest friends, you know, Lex, uh, didn't really have his back as much as he, you know, Ethan would have hoped. Uh, so going back, I knew he was going to be a likable guy. And I know there's so much Ethan love in the community of, uh, you know, Survivor fans. So many people had so such warm feelings for him. Uh, and I think that I missed a little bit of that just from the fact that I was watching it years later and not, you know, if this, if I was watching this live for the first time uh, with everybody else, I think, you know, I would have fallen just as deeply in love with Ethan, but it was kind of hard to like feel those same emotions that people felt watching at the time. So, uh, you know, I, I definitely liked him, but, uh, uh, you know, I don't think my feelings were as strong. But I mean, do you remember watching yourself at the time? And do you have did you have those feelings? I mean, it's it's very interesting watching or thinking about how I watched the first, oh my gosh, probably, you know, 20 seasons of the show. And then how I felt after that, because once I started listening to podcasts and doing more research and rewatching seasons, I definitely saw the show in a different light. When I was younger, it was a lot of, oh, we love the challenges and we root for the hero type figures and, and things like that. Like, I remember not really liking Sandra a whole lot the first time around. And then now I go and tell my parents, oh my gosh, you, you know, my mom, like, you, you are exactly like Sandra. You would play like her. You, you'd love her. And she's like, ah, I didn't like her. You know, Rupert should have won because she just doesn't, you know, hasn't rewatched and doesn't remember really what the gameplay was exactly like. And so for Ethan, I remember thinking that Lex should have won that season. And I really like um, his gameplay. I'm glad that I've gone back and done 
done some rewatches and seen the show in a much different light having done that. But Ethan is the first Survivor player that I ever met in person. Actually, he came to the college I ended up going to. Um, I wasn't, I was still in high school at the time, but I met him and he was doing a uh, sort of talk about both being Jewish. And so it was for the the Jewish club at, at my college and also his actual cancer survivor experience. And I think me and my sister and my mom were the only people there who knew him from Survivor. <laughs> but uh, but we were we were excited. He gave me a soccer ball. So I, he's, he's the first person I met. My first uh, Survivor experience or meeting a Survivor didn't come to like the first know-it-alls. Uh, I did not ever think in any world of like what it would be like to meet one of them. I never thought of that as like a goal of mine. Uh, so that's why I did have such a big freak out when it did happen uh, at the first know-it-alls where uh, Parvati was there and Sophie and uh, whoever else that it was just completely like blew my blew my mind the fact that I was in the same room as, as these people uh, with my my only experience with Ethan is that he was at a know-it-alls once uh, it was a New York event and he was up in the front I was like way in the back and I knew that he was there because Rob had said like oh Ethan's here but Ethan I don't, or did he, he might have gone on stage for like a minute but I don't think he was watching that season if I'm remembering correctly so he didn't have a whole lot to say so I don't really remember details but point being I didn't end up meeting him he like snuck out pretty soon after the show and and that was it he just kind of wanted to say hi to I guess some old survivor friends which uh you know that's fine uh it is what it is but I do hope to meet Ethan uh one day he seems like a great guy yeah besides Ethan I think he's the only person from this cast oh well and Rob Sesternino that I've actually mm. met in person and so this cast is definitely one that I look at as being like they're still celebrities to me if I met any one of them it would be a, a really big deal and and nothing against some of the more recent survivors that I have met but I think if your season of survivor happened after I had already gotten sort of in doctor and into this community it would have been a little bit different of a big deal I mean first time I ever called into Rob Sister Nino's you know show I was like couldn't even put a sentence together i was so nervous <laughs> yeah and uh a lot of the you know current survivor when it airs you you go to these people's watch parties you go to uh meet them at events you go interact with them on social media sometimes they friend you or not they friend you but you sometimes you friend them on <laughs> facebook or or that you follow them on instagram or twitter and if you interact with them sometimes they follow you back if you get to know them however it is it's a much closer kind of community i mean looking at this cast uh you know I, i've never interacted with a single one of them besides rob never you know if talked to them on Twitter. Nobody follows me back. Nobody's friends with me on Facebook of this group. Actually, I might be Facebook friends with Lex. Don't know how that happened. But I think Lex is Facebook friends with everybody. Uh, but other than, you know, it's not like you have that connection to these people where they feel like they're your friend, like somebody from last season of Survivor, like Kelly or Gavin, people that I've interacted with or whoever, you know, you might have interacted with. You feel like you know them. I agree. Like these people do still feel like celebrities. If I was walking, you know, the streets of New York City and I saw Boston Robber, I saw Ethan or whoever, I don't know who's in New York City these days. I would freak out uh, still, even after, you know, having years of, of met players. And now I'm just kind of like, oh, cool. Nice to see you. But I would freak out with pretty much anybody on this cast. Yeah. And it, it's interesting how times have changed that. But some of these OG Survivor players are, I'm always going to think of them this way. And uh, well, we've spent a while fangirling over this, obviously. <laughs> I assume if you're listening to this podcast, you are also a, a fangirl or a fanboy of Survivor in, in some way. But, but yeah, so, so diving into all-stars because I think the way we're going to break this up is today we're going to talk about the first two episodes which sort of lump together and feel like a two-part premiere in some ways and then we'll break down 
down the pre-merge chunk and then post-merge chunk and then the finale. So looking to get four podcasts out about this season, just kind of a good way to break it down and see how things have changed because Survivor All-Stars was a really big season to begin with. It was the first season to include returning players and we didn't have another returning player season until season 11 when Stephanie and Bobby John came back. So, and we didn't have another full cast of returning players until season 20 for Heroes vs. Villains, which several members of this cast were in, actually. Boston Rob, Rupert, Jerry, and Colby were all in season 20 as well. So they, I'm trying to think if any, no, no one else from this cast returned for Fans vs. Favorites, did they? No, I don't think so. No, they, I don't think uh, so either. They pulled the Fans vs. Favorites cast from, like, the seasons kind of after All-Stars. Uh, yeah. Can't remember. Uh, well, obviously Fair Play was there from, you know, pre-All-Stars. They missed him on this go-round, but yeah, they they pretty much had that separated, and then for Heroes versus Villains, just kind of mixed everybody back together. Yeah. So, for people who might not have uh, re-watched the seasons quite as many times as Matt and I have, this was also set in the Pearl Islands in Panama, uh, same as Season 7, Pearl Islands, and it was actually filmed starting in November 3rd, whereas Season 7 was still airing at that time, so people only got to, the, the cast only got to see the first few episodes right up to the Outcast twist was probably the last episode they might have been able to watch, uh, depending on how early they were sequestered for this. There was a little bit of intrigue here with the fact that this is the first time we also had Rupert come back and the cast didn't know how well he did. They knew that he did well enough to be considered an all-star, but they had not seen his vote out at that point. Yeah, I mean, once you see, they saw the first episode, they see him stealing the shoes. Uh, that's pretty much all you need to know. Like, that big character moment in the premiere of that season pretty much tells you who Rupert is. And by the time that they leave, you know, he's obviously still in the game. And he's, you know, I don't remember the details. I, I mean, I've seen Pearl Islands at least like two or three times, but it's been a couple of years since I rewatched it. I'm sure there were plenty of other Rupert scenes in the beginning. They knew the idea of what this new character was. Uh, and obviously the fans were loving him at the time, you know, so they had to have an idea that he was going to be a popular player on their season as well. So you see like when the cast comes in seeing each other for the first time, they're all like, Rupert, like awesome. And now that's the exact same reaction that fans have when they see Rupert on new seasons of CBS shows. Yeah, it's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the same reaction. And it's kind of interesting to think about the next time they had a similar situation, which was for Heroes vs. Villains in season 20, Russell Hance was that person, the one that they didn't really know how well he had done, but no knew going into it that he was did something enough to become a villain and be instantly put on that villain tribe. So kind of an interesting thing to track that the people who have done these back-to-back all-star seasons tend to do very well, despite the fact that you would almost think that they would be a big target going in because they were, you know, famous or infamous in their own way. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't exactly the case for uh, for Zeke and Michaela when they came back in uh, Game Changers. They that season is such a train wreck, so you know, hard to blame anybody for not doing well in that season. Uh, but that was that did stand out to me that uh, you know people didn't know who they were, but considering it was like modern Survivor, I think people were much more threatened by them when they came back because it was like, all right, there's a bunch of people here that we know who they are, we we know why they're here, and now that we're in the like the hardcore gaming era of survivor uh whenever that started you know i think people were a lot more hesitant to be like okay well we like this guy rupert or this guy russell seems pretty uh compelling there's probably a reason people want to see him on tv uh you know i don't think that was the case with the uh the two game changers yeah and so like we mentioned before there's been four full all-star seasons and then the fifth one is going to be 
season 40 for all winners. So there was All Stars in season 8, then Heroes versus Villains in season 20, and then Second Chance in season 31. And was season 34 Game yep. Changers? Yeah, season 34 yep. Game Changers. So I kind of look at Second Chance and Game Changers a little differently because they were so back to back and it is this sort of modern era. It's funny how over time my perspective of what is considered old school survivor and what is considered new school survivor has shifted because for a while I was like, oh, well, only the first like nine seasons were really old school survivor. And now that number has stretched where I'm like, oh, well, the first like 20 seasons (laughs) were old school survivor. Yeah, I would say like the way that I break it down in my head is kind of like maybe Gabon-ish, like before Russell Hance is kind of like old school survivor. But then like these early seasons before Vanuatu, OG survivor, the originals, it's not a completely different era, but it's just a completely different game. Like uh, Vanuatu isn't really, you know, where they where they're going to introduce idols. I want to say that's Guatemala. Uh, I'm really not the survivor historian, so if I mess up any facts, I, I, you know, just speaking for myself at least, uh, don't come for me because <laughs> I'm coming at this from like the full perspective of like a fan who loves the season. Uh, not uh, you know, if you want survivor historians, I'll uh, I'll tweet you where to find them. Uh, <laughs> but you know, idols come into the game later, and all that kind of stuff uh, is not happening in the early seasons. So I think there is a way to set. Yeah, but even besides just gameplay, there are some really technical things that I've noticed from this season and from doing other rewatches that are so different. Like, the show did not start with Jeff Probst being a commentator during the challenges. Uh, The first, I mean, the really, I remember on a rewatch going, oh, wow, this is when he starts really asking them pointed questions. And this is when he starts not being Mr. Nice Guy Probst all the time is like season five. So the first four seasons, it's silent during the challenges. You just hear music. There's no commentary. And so that's that's even, even more old school. And uh, one of the best things about Survivor All-Stars I like is it's got that old school feel. It's, you know, standard definition. And there's still a lot of emphasis on the trying to survive kind of aspects. But it's, there are elements of it that are so funny and lighthearted and jovial that make it sometimes feel like a more new school Survivor. And that depends a lot on who you like. Because if you like the Shapiro tribe, then you're going to feel more positively, I think, than if you were rooting for some of these other people. For sure. And uh, Shapara by far, I mean, it's obvious that I have love for this season, but Shapara by far is my favorite overall survivor tribe of all time. Uh, the fact that it has both Robs on it for a short period of time. Uh, <laughs> Sue Hawk is, you know, always going to be entertaining. Big Tom, I mean, Big Tom is, is, is honestly the weak link in, in this group, which says a lot because I know people are probably going to think that Amber should be, you know, technically, but as a Boston Rob and Amber fan, uh, I grouped them together and, you know, she's she's very high on the list for me. And then uh, I love Alicia so much. So a couple of years ago, my 21st birthday party, funny story is that my, you know, imagine how most people spend their 21st birthday party. For, for me, as somebody who doesn't drink uh, and, you know, could care less about like going out to, to celebrate the night, I was just hanging out with some friends that day. We were going back to my friend's house uh, afterwards and I walked through the backyard and surprise, uh, there's a bunch of people. It was pretty, it was a surprise party and it was survivor themed uh, that my friends had put together, including Matt Gagan, who, you know, uh, is hopefully listening to this podcast, but people who are listening to this pro- uh, podcast probably know Matt. And he had, you know, we, we were kind of split into tribes uh, to play the games that we were about to play. And uh, him knowing that All Stars is my favorite season, we were the Shapira and Mogo Mogo tribe. So I have like this makeshift uh, Shapira buff and I hold it very dear to me. Oh, nice. I, yeah, I've never had a Survivor party, but I always wanted to. I did growing up, we used to go out in the woods and play Survivor, which usually mostly just consisted of making two different shelters and different camps. And I think one time we actually got around to the doing the challenge 
challenge, which was always just a blindfold challenge trying to find puzzle pieces. So I know that some people, <laughs> some survivors don't love that challenge, but that has always been some of my favorite <laughs> kind of thing is the blindfolded puzzle challenge. I would, I would love to play any of them. Like, I mean, it's I don't want to play Survivor itself, but like those little fun activities are fun. Like, I would love to do that. Yeah. So like we mentioned before, this season, Old School Survivor, it was filmed in November and December of 2003, and it aired in February through May of 2004. It had a star-studded cast that actually is a little bit interesting when you really look at the breakdown of the seasons they came from. There were four people from Survivor Borneo, Rudy, Richard, Sue, and Jenna Lewis. There were five people from Survivor The Australian Outback, Tina, Colby, Jerry, Alicia, and Amber. And I think Amber there is the big interesting point of someone they cast. Three from Survivor Africa, Ethan, Lex, and Tom, which if anyone knows any of the sort of survivor scandals in history, there's a lot of reasons why the three of them had to all be cast based on some flukes that went on during a final challenge or one of the last challenges in Survivor Africa that kind of might have made a different outcome in the game, potentially. Two people from Survivor Marquesas, Kathy and Rob Mariano, one person from Survivor Thailand, and I'm going to go ahead and admit, Survivor Thailand is my blind spot in Survivor. I have tried watching it many times. I know what happens. I've listened to podcasts on it, but I have never even been able to make it all the way through the season actually it's watching not good. it. It's really not good. I, that's, I mean, it took me so long, probably because uh, knowing that Sheehan was the only person represented from that cast and the fact that it was just nobody talked about it. Like when I had gotten into the fandom, nobody talked about Thailand. It wasn't like, it was just, it was a complete non-factor for, for fans for uh, and, you know, thus for myself. So I had no interest in really watching it. And then when I did watch it, I had the same experience. It took me a while to get through it. And uh, to this day, it stays on the bottom of my list. And I think part of that for me is, and, and it goes along with my second least favorite season, which is season 30, Worlds Apart, which may or may not be a hot take. But I, I feel like the, the reason those seasons are hard for me to get through is because they're, there's a lot of animosity going on. They're kind of downers in a lot of ways. Some really, some of the lighthearted, more fun people get voted off early in both of those seasons. And it, it's really interesting when you look in contrast to season five, which like you said, Sheehan was from and season six where they got Jenna and Rob is season six, the Amazon is one of the most lighthearted fun seasons of the OG seasons. So I feel like looking at those two back to back, there's no wonder why season six, you know, why they, they snagged two people from that cast and they easily could have gotten even more, I think. Yeah, I mean, you have to figure that the majority of the cast is going to come from those first two seasons. Like that just makes all the sense in the world. When you look at the individual breakdowns of why certain people are here, uh, you know, you can question why is Amber here? Why is uh, Rob here? Whatever. But you have to look at like the main pieces first to see, you know, who on this cast did we need? We needed the four from, uh, or I'm sorry, we needed the three from Borneo, at least uh, Jenna Lewis not being included in that. Uh, and you, you you know, Australia was like the biggest season at the time, right? Like it had like the most viewers of any season ever. So bringing back the more, uh, the most people on the cast from that season makes a lot of sense. I remember, I, I don't even know how long ago, listening to like the historians break down this season and they were talking about how, you know, there's the spots that needed to be filled were pretty much the Ambers and the Jennas where they did ask Colleen and they did ask Elizabeth, but at the end of the day, if those people weren't available, they had to find somebody else to fill that spot where, uh, you know, it was still going to be somebody who fit the mold of whatever that spot was. So that's where we ended up with this cast. Yeah, I guess I guess the question is, could they have gotten anyone else from, you know, Marquesas, Amazon, or Pearl Islands instead in that sort of young hot girl archetype? And I think the problem that you look at there is just, they need 
to be a young hot girl who was also somewhat of a big character. I think Jenna is probably someone who, once they approached her about All-Stars, she probably gave them a lot. And and lover or hater, she is a very big character on this season, actually. And she steers the direction, especially early on, of a mm-hmm. lot of these votes. Yeah, she has the... I, I can't confirm this, but she has to have the most confessionals in the first two episodes. Like, obviously, Saboga goes to Tribal Council for both times. Uh, so a lot of what's going on has to do with Jenna and her strategy, which is what ultimately sends the first two people home out of the game. Uh, but she is like, sh- they, she gives them what she want, what they want in her confessionals. And she's, you know, especially for this season, she's coming in thinking about the game. She wants to get to the end and she wants to play the game this time. So, you know, I'm sure that they had interviews with each person before they went back out there to see like, oh, so where are you at right now? And what would playing again mean to you? And I totally understand why they brought her back. If, if she was as passionate to the producers as she is like right away uh, playing the game. I know you already spoke a little bit about this, but is there anyone else that you felt like from the first seven seasons, not taking into account who you know said yes or said no, but who you would have wanted to or expected to see having gone back and rewatched those first several seasons? Yeah, well, I mean, you obviously are missing uh, Scoopin from Australia. The fact that he's not there after his moment on the show was such a big, you know, it, it may, uh, and, and I'm saying all this like it made headlines as if I was there and I remember it. I, I don't, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I've heard plenty about it. You know, it was such a big moment for the show. So surprising to see that he didn't end up on the cast, but, you know, with already five people from Australia, I guess, understandable, you know, he wasn't there. And I know that there were more reasons and whatnot. I don't even know details about that. So I guess I shouldn't talk too much on it, but fair play not being there is pretty notable. Obviously they are going to get him back eventually, but when you're talking about like the big people from this show, you know, dead grandma is like one of the top five moments on Survivor of all time, you know, depending on who you ask. So the fact that he wasn't there was also pretty big. And then I already mentioned Colleen and Elizabeth. I think both of them were asked and both of them said no. So, you know, that's that. And then who else was I thinking? I wish I would. Oh, Sandra. Duh. Sandra (laughs) ends up not being on this season, which I think is understandable because, you know, as much as we love her now, I don't think that they thought of her as the big character that she is able to be or just the entertaining character that she that she's able to be because she kind of does, you know, her entertainment is more kind of under the radar. You don't realize how funny she is until you're kind of looking for it in some ways. Uh, So it makes sense that she didn't make this cut of 18, but thank God, of course, that they got her back time and time again. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting when you bring up Sandra because part of the reason people like her so much now is because of her headlining as the two-time winner. And if she hadn't won the second time, I think she gave enough in season 20 that they she still would have been appreciated a little bit more than she was obviously before she came back but I I don't know you know then you factor in would she have gotten the same edit had she not won etc it's interesting though because if you go back and rewatch Pearl Islands she's she is entertaining and she is loud and she is pretty sly and sneaky in the game and none of those things were added retroactively it was just you look at it differently knowing what she's gone on to do and so at this time I yeah I I don't think that she was as uh, beloved as she is now I think the big one for me is it's interesting even though she won that Jenna Maraska is the one to come from Amazon instead of Heidi, who I think was the more notable character there. Yeah, uh, that's fair. Jenna is, you know, definitely one of them that I could have seen not coming out there and especially knowing how uh, things played out for her. You know, it, it is very questionable as to how she ended up going in the first place and how producers were like, yeah, let's get her back out there. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I don't want to say, you know, Jenna was a wasted spot because of course the reason that she left was completely, you know, outside of the game and uh, was... The, that episode is like we'll get into it I guess with the next podcast but like I, I will
will never forget the first time that I watched that and all that stuff. But um, I'm, I guess I'm happy she was there. I, you know, if if she was able to have stayed for the entire game, uh, I think it could have been interesting because I think that she was somebody who didn't take Survivor as seriously as a lot of other people did. And she was out there within like the first day talking about, you know, why the hell did we sign up to do this again? Like, this is so stupid. So I think that kind of attitude towards it would have been fun, uh, especially, you know, she was in good with the Mobo Mogos and having them having another number honestly could have changed the entire game. So uh, definitely an interesting factor that she was. There. Yeah. So besides just that on the cast, you know, this has this is a cast that they clearly have gone back to many times, gone back to this well. Like we mentioned earlier, Rob, Rupert, Jerry, Colby, and Tina have all played again, Rob and Rupert multiple times since this point. Rupert has also been on The Amazing Race recently, and Rob, Amber, Ethan, Jenna were also on The Amazing Race <laughs> earlier. Have you watched any of their seasons of The Amazing Race? I watched all of them, and I could tell you absolutely <laughs> nothing about any of them. I, you know, I definitely was super excited when Rob and Amber were on The Amazing Race twice, right? They were they yes. did uh, two seasons of that. Uh, and then, you know, of course, I, I remember Rupert's a little bit more because it happened recently. Uh, but definitely, uh, definitely did watch them. But Amazing Race is just never going to be my show. Yeah. So <laughs> Rob and Amber's season of The Amazing Race, which was season seven, I'm actually not going to spoil it for anyone who might has might not have seen it and wants to go back because it's one of my favorite seasons of The Amazing Race. But that was their first time. And then they came back for an all-star season as well a little later on. And Ethan and Jenna, I don't think did as well. I know I watched their season, but I don't remember being super duper impressed with it. And then Richard Hatch, who's also been on other reality shows. He was on The Apprentice in the 11th season and on the 17th season of The Biggest Loser, which I also watched, but he, I think he was briefly on it, only on it for three or so episodes. I I watched that. <laughs> I yeah. don't know why, but I watched that. Yeah, and I, I the biggest thing I remember from him being on The Apprentice was that there was some sort of competition where they had to get celebrities to give them donations and his celebrity ringers he brought in were Ethan and Jenna and, uh, you know, while Ethan and Jenna have both won Survivor, safe to say they're not bringing in the same kind of bucks as, uh, you know, big wig, you know, real estate right. tycoons and things like that. So yes. it was interesting. But anyway, well, let's go ahead and dive in. We've done a lot of preamble, but let's dive in a little bit to the first two episodes here, because I think it's interesting just to look at how much has changed and, and thinking, you know, this is the last time that both Ethan and Amber have played Survivor. And so huh, I don't know how it's going to go from from this to the world of Survivor now is certainly a big difference. Yeah, we were talking before we started recording about the uh, auction draft that we did before season when the season 40 cast just came out and I'm looking back through that now so Brian Scally has Ethan on his team uh, that he paid 450 for her uh, him sorry and then uh, whereas I have Boston Rob I paid $12 for him which I remember uh, I did not want him <laughs> I thought that I was raising the price on somebody and everybody else was just kind of like oh, alright he's yours so that's how I got Rob and then Amber is over on your team you spent $5 on her yes and I feel pretty good about my $5 Amber pick Boston Rob on the other hand I remember thinking oh he there is no chance he could do well I think if we had known that there was going to be Extinction Island our choices would probably have been quite a bit different after seeing that season it's possible but also I mean now that we're seeing him on this current season you know there was like a secret scene of him this uh, this past week where him uh, him and Sandra had nothing to do on uh, the island of the idols uh, and he like took his raft out to like the middle of nowhere in the ocean and then by the time he comes back he's like all winded and stuff and I mean granted he went to like the middle of the ocean and came back but I was 
like, yeah, this this guy is aging. Like, no, you know, oh, it's, it's wow, <laughs> burn on Rob. No, like, it, he, like you can tell, like he's getting older. He's got like four kids now. He's nowhere near in the same shape that he used to be. I definitely don't, you know, I, I don't doubt his abilities, especially with like puzzles and whatnot, because God knows that modern Survivor, you know, you win a puzzle and you're probably set up nice and well. But I don't know. I don't have all the confidence in the world of him to win his way back into the game if he's out when there's other younger players all around. Well, just to think about it. So Rob is 43 now, Rob, Boston Rob, and Amber is 41. They were both in their early 20s when they were playing originally. I think Amber was like 21 the first time she played or maybe 22. Well, we um, were 10 and now we're 25. So time well, does there's that math. Yes, that's a good point. <laughs> we don't need to examine our own ages, do we? <laughs> um, yeah, I, we are now the age that I think Boston Rob was the first time he played. So if there is that. Um, so yeah, this episode, episode one, they're back, was, it, I remember it being pretty significant at the time, actually, because it aired right after Super Bowl 38, when the New England Patriots beat the Carolina Panthers. Not something I knew, just something I looked up when I was <laughs> doing this research. And I, But I do remember watching that game, not because I had a whole lot of interest in football, but because I knew that the Survivor premiere was coming on right after that. And it's, uh, these two episodes are also, I kind of lumped them together because they were only four days apart in airing. Episode one aired on Sunday and then episode two and aired on its typical time on Thursday that week. Remember remember a time when we used to watch an episode on a Thursday and then the finale would be like two days later or three days later on a Sunday? That How, that was the best. I what loved a world it. we lived in. Yep, time. yep. I, I, you know what? I would give a lot to go back to the times when not every single show I watch is on Wednesdays. I am right there with you. Yep, I think Please. I follow four or five shows that come out on Wednesdays. So, and those are the only shows I watch. Spread the love, guys. Spread the love. I mean, the, the main reason that we're doing this on a Tuesday night at the moment uh, is, like I said, I, I'm usually free on Tuesdays. There's never any shows on, and I never have anything to do. So, nope, nope, yep. Yeah, uh, Amazing Race has bumped around a bunch of different time slots, but Amazing Race is going to invent a new day of the week just so that it has uh, every option to fall back on. Yep, yeah. Anyway, so this right from the start, you know that this is an OG season of Survivor. There are intense looking military personnel, helicopters, boats, people speaking different languages over walkie-talkies, and a full military escort. Airspace is shut down. Jeff is in a helicopter. The castaways have been given one canteen and very little info. They don't even know who else is playing. And also, three tribes for the first time. Yeah, I mean, this season is, uh, you know, it's a whole new game. It's not uh, a lot of people who are, like, you know, Survivor purists or, or, or whatever you want to call them, they don't think of this season as Survivor. It's it, it's a completely different game. You go from having 16 strangers on an island together and they have to interact with each other and make relationships and, and find their way through the game to now, this is a whole new concept. You have 18 people who do know each other and, you know, they're playing a game based on friendships that they've had in the past and, and you know, wh- whatever you want to call it, if, if it was pre-gaming before the season started or whatever it is. You know, it is very different, but, you know, of course, that the way that the show is still going to present it is, this is people that you've seen before, but they're still struggling out there. You know, they're still very much trying to stay alive and they're still fighting for everything that they, you know, need to earn in the game. Yeah, and, and it was actually billed as one of the more difficult seasons initially because they were not given food from the start. They were given a machete and a pot to boil water for each tribe. And prior to that, I think they'd been given, you know, rice or beans or um, whatever they got in the Amazon that was different. Some other kind of root flour powder thing. We could ask Rob. I don't remember. They were given a lot less at the beginning of this season and the big thought was they know some people 
people will know each other? Will they make the same mistakes again? Will old relationships come back to help or to haunt them? Which is interesting when you look at the breakdown of the tribes, because two of the tribes have a bunch of people that know each other on them, on Shapira, Alicia, and Amber played the same season, and on Saboga, both Tina and Jerry were on the same season, and Jenna and Rudy played together. Uh, although they, they weren't super close together, but I guess they were partially together. They at least were on the same season. Whereas on Mogo Mogo, on the Green Tribe, nobody knew each other. And that was kind of an interesting mix up the way that they spaced those out. I guess when you have that many people from seasons one and two, you got to put some of them on the same tribe. Yeah, I mean, my initial thought, obviously, you know, there's five of them out there. So people from Australia are going to end up together. But you mean, you know, you have to look at it uh, from the producer's perspective where they, they had to separate people that were obviously going to be together. You can't have Tom, Lex and Ethan all on the same tribe. Obviously, the three of them all started off in different tribes. But then there's other pieces where you can kind of move them around as you as you need to. You know, Rupert can pretty much go anywhere, but you want to separate the Borneo crew. You want to separate Rob and Jenna. Just, you know, so obviously it's something that they did back then and it's something that they still do today, which season 40 is, you know, the ultimate struggle, I'm sure, uh, for them to try to decide who was going to be on whose tribes because everybody knows each other and, you know, you can't separate, you can separate Rob from his wife, but you can't separate him from like the 10 friends that he's made throughout the years on Survivor. So that'll be super interesting when the time comes. Yeah, that's that's also something that I don't know what would be more entertaining to have them on different tribes or to have them on the same tribe. Maybe put them on the same tribe and then see how much of a target they are being together. You know, they've got that bonus of, you know, basically being a guaranteed block to work with each other, but but they've also got that target on their back. So I'm, I'm curious to see where they go with this. Um, and speaking of the tribe layout, you know, like we said, this is three tribes. It's the first time they did three tribes and they don't do three tribes again until I believe season 25, I think is the next time they go to that format. That sounds crazy, but I think you're right. I, I, I mean, mean, they go briefly to see to four, four tribes, have, yeah. but they don't do the three again, at least, definitely on starting tribes, at least, until Philippines. That's pretty wild, considering yeah. like how, I mean, you know, obviously I, I don't want it every season, and I would say that my preferred format is still two tribes, but three is definitely interesting to throw in the mix every once in a while. Like, you know, the Brains, Bronze, Beauty were fun when they first did it. It wasn't fun when they like did it again and then split it worlds apart and all that kind of different, you know, three, uh, doing the same thing in like different ways. I'm very surprised that they didn't do it again somewhere in the middle. Well, and one of the things I like about this one compared to the two you just mentioned is they're three tribes, but they're three random tribes. They don't have any kind of significance for each one. They're just the Mogomogo, the Saboga, and the Shapira tribe, which again, my fangirl bias coming in, Shapira is by far the best name out of those three tribes. They were all great and that's why people are still going to crap on their merch tribe name forever, but that dance and when they put it all together, <laughs> like it's so much fun. Yeah, I think and it's, it's great from the start. They also have one of my favorite Survivor intros, the Survivor theme song that they use, which they tweak for the different seasons, is a sort of combination of a lot of elements from past. You get a little bit of the didgeridoo in there. They they have this this really great sound like a alligator closing its mouth. And for a long time, the Survivor All-Stars theme song was my ringtone for my phone. So it's, it's just my, one of my favorites, which is something topical considering that season 39, the current season, is the first season to not have an official intro even just posted online anywhere. They haven't been putting it, obviously, in the episodes for years, but they usually at least make one and put it online. And as far as I can tell, I have not been able to find a season 39 intro. No, I think you're right about that. And, uh, you know, hopefully it's just because they're working so hard in the season 41, because if they don't have one, you know, for next season, uh, there will be riots in uh, the Twitter streets and maybe in the real streets. Uh, 
that needs to, ha- you know, you have players who played back then. You need to have, you know, especially if they're going to give us longer episodes, which is nowhere near confirmed, but like people have been asking so hard. And then Jeff had that tweet uh, where he was like, you want longer episodes? Like, let us hear it. So I'm still holding out hope for that. And if that's the case, you guys have time for intro. Go ahead and, you know, give me an intro that shows them on their first season and them now. Like, I, I'm I'm cool with everything. Make it a three minute long intro. Put it Literally, in the first episode. I'm cool with it. Have, uh, who sings the Fuller House uh, theme song? The the newer one? Oh, I have uh, no idea. <laughs> <laughs> have, just have any random celebrity sing it if you want. I don't care. Just uh, get it back in there. Yeah, get Tyler Perry to sing a song. Jeff will like that. Yeah, so they start out with a little bit of going through each of the different tribes and there's a definitely a different vibe on each one. Shapira is the, as Rob Mariano says, the buffoon tribe and it's uh, he sort of says oh great I'm on the underdog tribe again everyone's a mess there's six different pretty strong personalities or at least five and Amber um, and uh, and Rob Sesternino who yeah going into this is if you see his first season you're like oh man this guy is one of the best players to never win he's such a great confessional speaker and then he pretty much immediately gets this sort of I'm not gonna say it's a dodo edit but it's a very different vibe than he had his first season. Yeah, I mean, we know how things are going to play out, and it's just so fun for me to see him there, because like I said, I I didn't know anything about any of these people before this, you know, while I was watching the season. They were all just fresh faces to me. So, you know, especially not just of going back to see his season, just knowing who he is now and like, you know, the relationship that we formed, both of us have formed with him uh, over the past few years. It's just so strange, but also so cool to see him playing the game, you know. It's obviously not going to go well for him this season. You know, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's not going to go well for him this season but just seeing him out there and the fact that he got to play twice uh, is so cool yeah and he definitely seems like a kid in the candy store just ready to get going and doing this again whereas rob and amber are a little bit more sticking with their stereotypes from the first time rob's kind of a big big personality doesn't trust anyone thinks this is going to be a harder game alicia on that same you know element is bringing up that you know people that everyone's friends everyone's gotten to know each other in the, you know, Survivors definitely had a lot of different group events and they used to all go to the finales together, which they don't really do anymore. But at the time, the Survivors had a big community outside the game. So even if you weren't on the same season, a lot of these people knew each other and had watched each other's seasons. And Alicia brings up that, you know, they know something about each other. People could know to push her buttons and tip her over the edge. Sue Hawk is pretty sticking in her ways. And Tom is like, you know, I'm 48. I don't need these little kids pushing me around so definitely the big personality tribe like the whole thing about this like today if any if people come back to play the game the second they hit the beach the game is on they're they're racing to get in their private chats and they're racing to find idols and of course you know they're still they have to put the shelter together because that's something you know it's, it's not like that that's not a thing anymore so they still have to do the basic things that we see happening here but at the end of the day it's way more like game on the second they hit the beach so the fact that this is the first time they're doing this it's so funny that like they're all kind of they, they're, I don't know if they're not taking it seriously but they just kind of don't believe that they're actually there so they're like kind of joking around about it to themselves to each other you know we see that Mogo Mogo scene that's going to be coming up where they're just completely like laughing in each other's face about the fact that you know they're already uh, trying to play the game and the you know even to the producers in confessionals they're kind of just like so you know th- this is weird you know I- I'm going to be myself and I'm going to try to have fun but 
I, I don't know what to expect. And the tone of the, that sort of jovial, oh, we're all, we can't even believe it, we can't believe we're here, definitely changes, you know, three or four episodes in. But but from the start, it's it's a lot more lighthearted and it's a lot easier when no one's been voted out yet. They're all back. There's a lot of talk of, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're putting ourselves through this again. We're all insane for coming back. On the Saboga tribe in particular, that's some of the mindset from people like Ethan and Jerry, who were kind of, oh my gosh, you know, we we starved before. We're crazy for coming back out and doing this again. Jenna on this tribe, though, seems to be the one who's a lot more like, I'm here for the money. I'm here to play and we got to get these winners out. She's got two winners, Tina and Ethan on her tribe, and that's where she wants to go. And she's kind of, she's not even hiding it. She's letting them know that's, that's where her head's at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody has different motivations uh, to start the game off. Some people are just there because honestly, it feels like they were asked to so many times and uh, it's kind of like like Rudy for example it's just somebody where it's like uh, you know I'm sure this is a fun experience for him the fact that he gets to you know got asked to play again can't answer answer this for sure but I can't imagine that Rudy was like begging them like please put me back out there they were probably like hey Rudy you want to come play again we really want you to be there while you have other people like Jerry who are there like I need to fix my reputation like I'm not the evil bad guy and people hate me and you know Tina hates me and she's right here uh, I need to you know try to play this differently and present myself in a different way and then you have people like Jenna or or you know Rob Boston Rob who are you know very much focused on the game this time they want to show what they can do and you know Jenna obviously like you said starts off with this strategy of the, the winners are not going anywhere I was put on a tribe here with two winners you know perfect shot to take them out if we end up losing which Saboga is going to do a, a whole lot of losing and you know she gets her chance to implement her strategy right off that and then on the other hand you've got this Mogo Mogo tribe that I think the common view at the time and and it's hard because I, I look back at like Borneo where because I was so young when I watched it the first time that when I watched it the second time you know even when I was a you know maybe 10 or 11 years old I was rooting for the tribe that I knew was going to play the better game so I was rooting for Sue and Rudy and Richard Hatch and I think the common sort of feeling among the fans at the time though was that the other tribe the fun young lighthearted tribe was the one that they were rooting for and I know that the similar Similarly, the, a lot of the fan base at the time of Survivor All-Stars was rooting for this Mogo Mogo tribe. This was the one with Lex and Colby and Jenna Maraska and Richard Hatch. And, and this this was the big gamer kind of tribe, which is really interesting when it turns out that almost all of these people are going to get kind of pretty big downfalls in this game. Yeah, it's not going to go well for most of them. You know, even the, and it's funny, like the, the farthest placing person on that tribe ends up being Sheehan, who is, you know, if you're a Mogo Mogo fan, watching this at the time, uh, probably the person that you're least excited about being there or just, you know, the person that you're rooting for the least. But yeah, I mean, you, you have all these all-stars in the cast. You have all these different people that people have grown to love over the years. But no matter what, I think your eyes, the second that you get to watch the show, are drawn to Richard Hatch, the first person to win the game. He's back here again and he's, you know, he's the same person that he was back then. And, you know, obviously your eyes are going to be drawn to him because he's on screen so often, you know, dropping his pants and uh, just being Richard Hatch, you know, completely walking around naked so that's you know I think you know you have the the young tribe over with the Shapiras and you have a lot of people that are, are rooting for them and relating to them you know two people on this podcast included but they have having Richard on one tribe and I think having like Rupert and Ethan and Rudy on the other it, it's definitely helps them well uh, have them well balanced I would say yeah and when you look at that tribe breakdown again there are two winners on Saboga and two winners on Mogomogo and zero winners on Shapira Shapira is definitely going in kind of the underdog 
underdog tribe, the people who didn't get a chance to play to win the first time around. And I think that's why some of them become a little bit more of the intense gamers this time around. Whereas Mogomogo, they, they've got a lot of egos, like they said. Kathy and Jenna and Sheehan think that, instantly think that the boys are getting together. So they start a girls alliance, which instantly gets overheard. <laughs> and that's what you were referencing, that great scene where they're all just standing there being like, okay, we, we came out too fast. Let's air it out. Let's start over. And there's silence. And Colby just says, I don't trust any of you sons of guns. <laughs> so it's it's a great start to that to that tribe as well. Overall, do you think that the show is slower because the first, I don't know, 10, 12 minutes of the episode are just checking in with the tribes, talking to the people. They're all making camp, looking for water, meeting each other, that kind of thing. And there's not this instant, let's look for idols or let's build alliances even. It's, I mean, they have a little bit of that on Mogo Mogo of just that mistrust, but it's it's much more just about scoping each other out as people and as players. And the show, I find to be a lot more of like a social experiment than the straight up strategy that it is now. Yeah, the slower pace is so welcomed after all these, you know, previous years, uh, the past few years, I should say, of watching Modern Survivor, where it's just everything is go, go, go. And the reason that you have, you know, hundreds of hours of podcasts each week about each episode of current Survivor is just because every ep- every second is filled with something new to, to analyze or to dissect. Uh, you know, they change they change from tribe to tribe so uh, so fast. They change from uh, different dynamics so fast. But in this, you can watch somebody trying to make the fire and they'll show you from like the second they start until like almost a full 60 seconds later of I still can't make the fire. I'm still trying to make fire. Uh, rather than where today you would see like a very short clip of them striking the flint and then a confessional saying, I wasn't made able to make the fire and you know it goes by within seconds uh so it's such a slower pace but like i said i definitely enjoy it just you know it's 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 older. It's old school. It's just getting to know these people and to just kind of feel like you're at the camp with them. It's interesting because I know that some people will say, oh, those early seasons of Survivor, it's hard to rewatch them because they're so slow. And I do think that holds some ground for maybe the first two or even three seasons. You go back and watch Borneo and there's so much cut-ins of talking about describing what they're doing. There's, oh, now we are walking to the challenge. Now we are walking to tribal council. They cut a lot of that out by season five or six or so. And and the, the thing is, it's it's a slower season, but you get more out of it. I'm Because we're spending all this time trying to make fire or talking about the shelter building, it's not just, I think there's a misconception that it's, oh, just people talking about how hungry they are. They're, they're talking about, we're making the shelter, but they're talking about it with respect to, we have different ideas, and that's why we're going to have some conflict. And, oh, this person, you know, d- can't sleep, and this person is wanting to go do something else. And so it, it's still this social experiment it's not just it's based around this survival aspect but it's not just talking only about we are you know this is how to make the shelter it's not an instructional video or anything yeah and the fact that like now that these are all stars we know who these people are so when sue's being bossy about this you're like oh that's sue like it's a fun character moment for sue or for us to like see that okay sue is still the way she is uh, when rich is being like bossy with like you know directing this and that it's you know the same kind of thing so it's taking a lot of moments which you kind of just kind of 
can overlook in any other season. And it just reminds you a little bit about how each person is if you've forgotten over the past few years before this season happened. And I'm not saying that the new seasons need to go back and change this. They're, you know, David versus Goliath, one of the most recent seasons, is one of my favorites also for very different reasons. I'm mostly just glad that these older seasons exist Mm -hmm. in comparison for something else to look at. For sure. And, uh, you know, the fact that these players played in this version of the game, you know, I wouldn't want to see all of these guys running around looking for idols. That's not why they were cast on the show. They were, you know, they were cast because of their personalities and because of the stories that were created in their first season uh, for the most part. So, you know, that's why I think this season holds up so well for people like us who love this season. You know, it's just, we get exactly what we're looking at. And something style-wise also is there seems to be a lot more, I don't know how to describe, in-camp commentary. I think I think Rob Sestrinino has mentioned it's called like, I don't know, on the fly or something, yeah, some kind of check-ins. I, mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's, there's uh, confessionals happening with someone speaking to a camera while other people are in the background walking around. Yeah, it's it's weird. They don't really do this now. And I it kind of makes it seem, yeah, it's, it's, it's a different vibe because you have this like disconnect from reality of they're not, they're, they're saying things in a confessional format that are, that it doesn't matter if they get overheard. So it's, it's just another way of, of editing that I'm not sure when this goes away, but it was refreshing to see and kind of interesting to see. Yeah. And they're not, you know, like you said, they're asking like questions that can be overheard. Heard. I, the one that stood out to me that I noticed this the first time was, I uh, it was that actually it was for episode two when Rob was talking, uh, Rob Sesternina was talking about how uh, he was excited to see Tina go because he thinks she's a phony. He's he's just in camp with everybody else. So, you know, they probably went around to everybody in camp and they were like, all right, you guys don't have to move. Don't go anywhere. Just quick reactions. Uh, surprised to see Tina go? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a I think it's a cool editing trick that, you know, they could they could bring back just to give that feel of it's not it's not just Big Brother on an island where you can only talk to the camera in a designated separate section of the They, they, of they would the ruin it if this happened today, though. It would just be like uh, <laughs> because everybody would be listening so closely to what the producers are asking the other players. So while they can do it on this season and you know everybody in the background is just going about their business if that happened today like you just imagine like you know Boston Rob is being asked a question on season 40 you can guarantee that Jeremy and Adam are going to be off camera like very much listening to what's going on and, and ruining the background part of it yeah it's it's definitely definitely something of the time so the rest of this this episode before the challenge is mostly just the tribes trying and failing to make fire you get some great commentary of Sue saying let's just drink the water it's fine, you know, they're in both uh, Saboga and Shapira, there's a person, Rudy and Sue, who just like, eh, you know what, let's just drink the water, it's okay. And everyone else is talking about brain parasites that are in this water and how it's going to put you in a coma and you can't do that. And the thing that I found so interesting was Boston Rob even says when Sue drinks the water, you know, it's not great if she if she gets sick because of this water because then she she'll, you know, get medevaced and we now have only five people here trying to do a job of six. Nowadays, this would be great. Someone gets medevaced from water, everyone's like, all right, cool. One fewer person we have to worry about. But at that time, it was this mentality of we're going to be down, not just in numbers, you know, when we merge or whatever, but we're going to be down in uh, athletic ability to help build the shelter and and keep camp life going. And it it also does kind of feel a little bit, you know, Rob does seem like he settled into the leader position on this tribe very quickly. Uh, so the fact that, you know, something's going on on his tribe that uh, wasn't approved by him, I guess, and, uh, you know, someone's kind of going rogue and just doing whatever they want to do, uh, 
I think he's more mad at Sue about that rather than like, oh, she might actually get hurt by this. Uh, and then over on, you know, Saboga with Rudy, you know, you have Jerry who's just immediately just like, oh yeah, no, this water's no good. Like nobody should drink it. And then Rudy goes off and drinks it. And everyone's just like, what? Like, no, 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 no. We have to, we have to protect this guy. Like he doesn't know what he's doing. I think the guy kind of knows what he's doing. You know, he sounds pretty confident in, you know, he'll be fine. He's, uh, he's drank worse than this before, but you know, it's, it, it is funny to watch the younger players kind of feel like they have to like protect the older players and they're the ones that are like you know it's their season so they're just kind of like uh what are they doing <laughs> yeah exactly and that that line that rudy talks about having drank water from a reservoir that had dead bodies floating in it has always stuck with me as yes. just something so crazy then speaking of of rob because i know a lot of this rewatch is looking at rob and amber's game it it is interesting in the evolution of rob you know the first season he was on he was so young he was cocky he basically got put in a tribe swap switch situation that didn't work very well for him and he kind of okay well I'm gonna give up then I'm not gonna conform to this new tribe and I'll just get voted out when we lose which is basically what happened from this season he he he's you know he's only a year or two older but he does seem to be like you said getting in this leader position where he's still this cocky I'm gonna do it my way kind of person but he's I think he's trying to win the game more where he is going to be a little bit more you know I'm gonna do it my way but I'm gonna control everyone else's moves I'm gonna have the power and so they're not going to be able to to vote me out like they did last time yeah and I mean it definitely helps to be put into such a comfortable position early on I think the second he got to this tribe he pretty much knew that he had it on lock I mean uh you know obviously he butts heads a little bit with Alicia early on but I I mean between like I don't know exactly what the relationship or dynamic was between Rob and Rob uh but it seems like you know Rob Sesternino probably knew that his only option to move forward in the game was to try to link up with Rob and Amber. That was obviously the couple that was forming. That's where the votes were going to be attached to. And it's not like you can get the other four to say like, oh, let's vote at Rob and Amber. Like Rob was the, he, he was pulling in Tom, you know, he probably felt like Sue was not much of a threat. So like that was the core of the group. So when you can build that kind of confidence to start off the game and then you start winning every single challenge, you know, it's definitely helpful in building momentum as they, uh, you know, the rest of the game picks up later on. Yeah. So in day two, Rob and Amber pair up almost immediately. And it's actually interesting that they pair up because they were the voice of discontent in their tribe with the shelter. They had built a shelter. Robin Amber didn't sleep well. Everyone else, particularly Alicia, though, are more concerned about the fire situation and not being able to drink water because of that. And Robin Amber want to be able to get good sleep. So they team up, form an alliance. And Rob says instantly, you know, I'm never going to turn on her. She's beautiful. I trust her. And this is going to be it for me, which we saw from his first season. He had a semi-alliance, semi-showmance kind of thing with Sarah, and this is going in the same direction, but I think there's already a different vibe between Robin Amber versus Robin Sarah. Yeah, and uh, if you, you know, listen to any of the people who know what they're talking about in terms of historical uh, survivor and all that stuff, believe, you know, this wasn't the first time that Robin Amber were talking game before the, uh, about this season. I don't think, you know, this alliance was actually made that day. Like, does that sound, you know, familiar to you? Oh, yeah, I think Robin Amber had been friendly preseason and whether or not they had said we're definitely going to work together or if they said hey if it lines up and we're on the same tribe we got each other's backs I think that's a little more likely I knew that they had known each other was there some flirtation going on probably you know I think that kind of chemistry is hard to just create day one in Survivor we've also heard from uh, the evolution of strategy that Rob Sesternino did and Josh Wiggler that they had spent some time together the whole tribe in sequester before the show started so they were 
all together for a week or so, you know, at least around each other before that as well. Right. So, uh, you know, whether or not that alliance was made the day of or not, uh, that's obviously going to be a scene that sticks out because the entire rest of the game is going to follow the storyline of Robin Amber all the way down to the final two. So pretty significant to see them link up from, you know, right away. Yeah. And I, I love Alicia here saying, you know, who made Rob king of this camp and Amber, her, his little in-pocket girl. So she recognizes it and pretty much everyone else recognizes it. But because this was one of the first times they, you know, Survivor had dominant players in a tight showmantic pair, usually the showmance pairs were in groups that got picked out or were in sort of cross alliance things. When you look at, you know, stuff like uh, the Amazon, there was a lot of crushing going on, but it wasn't, it wasn't the same. There were other people in charge who took them out. So this is the first time when you have, you know, like you said, a winning tribe who stays together for a while. And also this, this pair here, I really think the only way they could have gotten them out so early on would have, it would have had to have been Rob Sestrinino, Alicia, and probably Sue forcing, you know, a tie or trying to get Big Tom to flip over with them. But I think the problem is that Rob Mariano was just such a bigger character and more dominating person that I, I don't know if, you know, you would have needed Rob or Alicia, Rob Sesternino or Alicia, Alicia to really start that coalition and it just didn't come to form. Yeah, and if they were going to, you know, do anything like that, obviously, like at this point in the game, I think everybody's pretty much looking about tribe strength. That's obviously an old school mentality. But I mean, unless your name is Jenna Lewis, you're probably looking to keep your tribe as strong. There's only six people on the, on the tribe and you don't want to be a tribal council. This isn't like where, you know, in a two tribe season where there's 10 people or there's eight people on your tribe, going to tribal early is not the end of the world because you can kind of draw lines and see where everybody is. And, you know, as long as you're not the one that's going home, you know, sometimes people like to go early on. You don't want to go early on in this kind of season. And keeping Rob around to help your tribe when he's building the shelter, uh, obviously a very big part in that. Like he's help, he is the guy around camp uh, and he's going to help you win challenges. I don't think there was ever a thought in any of their minds besides maybe uh, Sesternino about, you know, this guy is going to be dangerous. But whereas on Mogo Mogo, the other sort of cocky person attempting to lead the tribe is, no pun intended, Richard Hatch, who is, he's just so full of himself. And I think, I think truly this is just the edit of someone who knows that they're probably not going to win and they can kind of just sit back and be all talk and coast it out for as long as possible. Well, yeah, that, that's Richard's story in this season. He uh, he knew the writing was on the walls. The winners were not, get, you know, especially after he sees Tina go home first. He's like, all right, yeah, I know what's going on here. So he's pretty much just playing on, uh, you know, he, he knows that he's not going to win. He knows that he's not going to make it very far. So have fun while he's there. If, if you can call it fun, uh, I wouldn't call what happens, you know, to end his story fun. But, you know, I think he's just not t- like, a, you know, like I said, a big theme uh, for me is just a lot of these people not taking themselves seriously, but Richard especially. He's just not taking this seriously. You know, he he wants to prove that he's the best player. He's been saying that, you know, I think Colby's the one that flagged it up that Richard's been talking about for years. I'm the best to ever play this game. I don't think Richard really believes that this is the opportunity that he has to prove that. I think he already feels like he did prove it. Uh, and at this point, he knows what is happening next and there's not much that he can do to really fix that. So it is what it is. Yeah, and luckily for him, he is on a relatively dominant tribe early on as well. So they're going to do okay. Going into the immunity challenge on the first episode, because I think that's another reason why I thought this episode was an hour and a half long, at least, or two hours, was because there isn't a reward challenge, which is pretty pretty progressive for them, considering it's season eight of Survivor. But they go ahead and skip that, which gives a lot more time to discuss these three tribes. But going into this immunity challenge, when they get tree mail, which can we just say, 
say how fun it is watching Tree Mail. It's been yes. a little while. That's that's Amber's only confessional. You know, all she has to talk <laughs> about uh, in this first episode is about the Tree Mail. Yeah, and it's it's something that I also noticed. They cut they cut back to Shapira a lot. Whether that be because Robin Amber end up being so dominating in this game, or if it's just because that's kind of the fun tribe with a lot of great confessional people on it. Not sure, but it's it's something I did notice. And so they go to them when they're discussing this Tree Mail and. <laughs> My one of my favorite Boston Rob quotes and one of my favorite lines from this whole season is when Sue is refusing to come over and listen to the tree mail with them and Rob is reading it aloud and one of the lines says, you know, showing tribe unity, unity, <laughs> shouting for her far away. That's one of my favorite parts just on this rewatch that I've forgotten about. Yeah, see, that's what I said. He's uh, he's the leader. And if you're not, you know, coming in close to listen to when the leader speaks, he's, uh, he's going to have some kind of uh, smart mark of that. Yeah. So they go into this immunity challenge and... And it's Quest for Fire, which was the first challenge they ever did in Borneo as well. And, you know, not to talk too much about it, most of the challenges in the first couple episodes are your sort of typical swimming and moving heavy objects kind of thing. It's just a lot of brute strength and swimming. And that's something else that I I was trying to pinpoint exactly what made these challenges feel so much more old school. I don't know if it's because they don't have puzzles in them or just something about the construction. It's not its not as crisp and clean and it looks a little more gritty and natural or maybe it's just the standard definition. How, how did you feel about that? I think, I think it's just the fact that it's a tribe. It's one team that is doing the entire challenge together rather than the way that it is today. If you have a tribe of even six people, you're going to have two people on this leg, two people swimming, two people doing the puzzle uh, or you know, if it's a bigger tribe, you have five people doing this and two people doing that and whatever it is. These challenges, everybody's all together the whole time. Uh, You know, there's a reward challenge in the second episode where uh, they all start together and then one breaks off and then another breaks off. But the point is that everybody is all together. So you look at it as, you know, three separate pieces all competing. It's not about the individual players where, you know, on uh, if this tribe, if this uh, challenge was happening today, it would be, all right, so Rob grabs the torch and Rob's up and Rob's trying to throw the ball and Rob's trying to do this or whatever. So that's pretty much, I think, the biggest part of what makes this feel so old school. It's just, you know, you're waiting to see which tribe is going to win, which of course ends up being Shapiro. And, uh, you know, the celebration is all of them together. They all equally put in effort to make that happen. Yeah, and it it also means that there's a lot less room to hide if you're not a pretty physical person. I mean, Rudy, who's 75 years old in this season, he's out there having to do this swimming leg and carrying the heavy raft with the fire walk on it as well. He's part of that. You know, Richard Hatch, who's a pretty big guy, he has to do that too. You can't have someone who's going to be so much weaker, you know, it's harder to play the kind of, oh, we'll just keep the weak people around game that is a lot more prominent in Modern Survivor because keeping that tribe strong is so much more important when you can't just put someone on the puzzle. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, looking at like the tribes, it's just crazy. I mean, Alicia is obviously, I mean, I, I don't think there's much debate that she's the strongest female out there. Like, could they have switched Jerry and Alicia to try to make this like a little bit more, you know, fair? Uh, is Alicia- I think the problem there was they just assumed that since Jerry and Amber had worked together in their season that it would be like putting a close pair together. Yeah, I was trying to, I mean, that's the answer, but I couldn't figure out like which, like what prevented that from happening. Because obviously with Saboga, you have, you know, Tina and Rudy, like two of the oldest people out there weighing that team down. And there's not one person besides Ethan that stands out. I mean, I guess Rupert's stronger, but like they're lacking You could have, you could have potentially switched Tina and Alicia. Might have been the only other thing I could think of. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if they look at that as like Tina, Tom, and Sue all being like a little bit older with like put Shapira at the 
about it. Because, I mean, I guess, you know, I'm looking at it as Rudy and Tina are the older ones, but Tom and Sue also are older. Uh, and I guess Mogo Mogo, you really just kind of have Kathy, who's like an older person. But she probably, I don't think she was even that old. She was probably just the old, oldest person on that tribe. Yeah, I think Kathy, Sue, Tom, they're probably all just in their late 40s or so. I don't even yeah. know if any of them were in their 50s. Overall, this whole cast is a bit more spread out in ages than you see nowadays. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, part of what makes it so good. Yeah, part of it. Could it could have had a little bit more ethnic diversity. They definitely do a better job of that now. <laughs> yeah, so Mogo Mogo comes in second, which, uh, you know, that seems like <laughs> another thing that's going to be consistent throughout the season. Yeah, so it's fun to see this challenge again, because like I said, I had seen Borneo, even though I had only seen All Stars. This was the first time, but going back through it as many times as I did when I was younger, I did know the significance of that first challenge, so it was cool to see them do it again. Uh, you know, it's not like it's not like we're at a time, I think, where at least I felt like this at the time, where I needed to see these big extravagant, extravagant challenges. Uh, it was just fun to see them compete in any passage. Yeah, so like I had been talking about before of the editing with Shapira being kind of the go-to point of view tribe, before this challenge even starts, Shapira is the first one that they bring in, they're kind of like the base, and you get to see their reactions to the other two tribes when they mm-hmm. get brought in, because at this point, they don't even know who they're playing with. Um, and similarly, after the challenge, in modern day Survivor, after the uh, immunity challenge, unless there's something very major that happens, you're pretty much just going to stick with the tribe that loses through the end of the episode in Tribal Council. But we actually get a scene going back to Shapira and seeing them celebrating their win. Boston Rob again talking about how they're the underdog tribe. And that's not, that, yeah, it's definitely not how they do it back in the day. I know that now you say, you know, you're rooting for this tribe, but they, they kind of put that in the edit of making making people want to root for them. Yeah, I mean, if this season was airing today with the, with something like that happening, I think people would be pointing out the winner has to be on Shapira like within seconds. And I don't know if they, how, you know, I don't know what the edit reading was like back in the day, if that was even slightly a thing. But if that happened today and, you know, the immunity challenge ended and there wasn't some kind of like somebody cutting off their own finger back at a different camp other than the losing tribe, then you would definitely be confused. Uh, and your, fla- you know, red flags would be raised as to why are we not seeing only the losing tribe and as much time as we have to see, you know, the strategizing going into that vote. So uh, definitely something worth noting there that we do see Shapira. And, you know, like I said, we don't see a whole lot of Amber throughout this episode or even next episode. So just at least showing us her tribe just to keep her on screen, I think is probably what they were going for. Definitely. And, and you know, with Amber being the winner, it's always really hard to separate her from Rob. And so sometimes when you see Rob, is that close enough? Does it count as, as giving her yeah. some of the edit? Hard to tell. Over on the Saboga tribe, though, since they did lose, which, like you said, going to be a trend for them here, pretty much everybody is on the same page of going to look at these look at these winners. Rupert and Rudy had earlier in the episode made an alliance kind of as the steady, loyal type people. Jenna and Jerry seem to be more paired up and wanting to target these winners. And then Ethan and Tina, by default, have to stick together since they are the other two winners. So you got this three-pair situation, two pairs fighting over Rudy and Rupert for their votes. Yeah, and I mean, when you when you boil it down, it's fighting over Rudy because Rupert has Rudy's vote on lock and knows that uh, Rudy's not, you know, the kind of guy who's who's trying to figure out what vote makes the most sense for him. And I don't know if I'm not giving Rudy enough credit there, but it just feels like whoever the person is that he trusts the most, once you get that person to give him an answer on where they're voting, you know, that's where we're going to go. So it pretty much just does feel like, you know, Rupert, we need you to vote with us. Rupert, we need you to vote with us. And while we know that Ethan does a bit better in this season than Tina does, obviously Tina is going to be the one to go here. The edit of the show really doesn't give a whole lot of reasons for why it's Tina over Ethan. I think it's probably kind of just to be assumed that, 
while they're trying to keep the tribe strong and Ethan's a strong young man so they're going to keep him around not that Tina's really any slouch in the challenges at this point but it's interesting that they don't try to have any they don't they don't try to make this a blind side Jenna straight up tells Ethan hey it's gonna be you or it's gonna be Tina Ethan gives that argument no keep the winners around no one's gonna want to reward us in the end and uh you have this kind of weird contradiction of Jenna saying I need to get you out because I don't want you to win but also I would never vote for you in the end so uh, you know I think I think some people like Rupert and Rudy would be happy to vote for a winner if they made it to the end again because they're the best player but Jenna's already saying I'm not here to vote for the best player I'm here to reward a million dollars yeah and the edit is really highlighting you know that part of the gameplay they're really highlighting Jenna and her strategy at this point uh you know it's it's gonna be the reason like I said earlier why the first two people of the game are gonna uh, sorry that's not true uh why (laughs) the first uh what would have been the first two people of the game had Rudy not you know been noticeably injured gone home you know Ethan probably would have gone there in that other spot you know Rupert was all for sending Ethan home but I guess after losing two challenges Rudy's injured you know of course that's what they're gonna do but otherwise you're looking at two winners going home back to back of course Tina does end up going home and Jenna is just so set in her ways like you said like it's just she's so adamant of this is my stance and you're not going to change it there's nothing you can say to change it I'm sorry like I don't want to be mean or I don't like I'm not trying to be cruel here but like this is just the strategy that I have for this game and uh, you guys had your chance this is our chance and I'm sorry but you gotta go and you know Probst is gonna ask her at Tribal and say like so this is it like not really much room for negotiation and she's like no this is it this is this is what I got here and it's it's interesting we don't get a whole lot about why Jerry also sided that way I think for Jerry she's more just hey let's get Tina out because I played with her in the past and I don't don't need (laughs) yeah she doesn't like me I don't need someone like that sticking around if maybe if Tina wasn't the winner on this tribe but it was you know Jenna Marasco would things have been different not sure that would have definitely been interesting to see Jenna and Ethan play together early on since Mm. they go on to be a pairing um, outside the game for a while but but yeah it's it's I try I was trying to think this time around you know I normally just watch the show knowing the outcome but I hadn't really tried to think about what was the best choice here so do you think that it was the best choice for Rupert and Rudy to side with Jenna and Jerry or do you think they there's any reason why they should have stuck with the winners I think the logic just makes sense at at a certain point Rupert's not somebody that's really in a position to be you know pushing his own agenda on other people if he doesn't feel so strongly about it you know he is the new guy you know people are putting at least Jenna specifically is putting a lot of faith into him not really knowing who he is but I mean you can kind of figure out pretty quickly who Rupert is he's got a beard and a tie-dye shirt like you know you can kind of tell what you're working with there unless he was some kind of like mastermind that was you know presenting himself in a certain way but this is Rupert talking about so you know I don't think he, especially with the way that Jenna was coming at it, like, this is the plan and you don't really have an option to vote another way, but like, you know, she's not saying that to him. She's just kind of like, we have to do this. We have to get the winners out. So I definitely don't think it was worth the fight, even if it wasn't the right move. Uh, I think, you know, I can't really give him any kind of flack over it. I think it was fine. Yeah, I think they probably would have gone on to continue doing pretty poorly in challenges no matter who they had voted out this episode, just given how stacked the other two tribes are. And he, he 
earned himself, you know, a number one ally pretty much in the game that, you know, is going to stick by his side all the way down to the final four, only to the final four. But, you know, having that bond with Jenna is crucial for his Yeah, and, and him being that new guy, like you said, he doesn't he doesn't have any reason to try and, and stick out. He's going to he's going to stick in, unlike Nora. <laughs> Other than that, that's pretty much the first episode. The only thing I will say is if you've never looked up the fake tribal council that Shapira does, it's a great deleted scene. It's I know it's on the DVDs. It's probably online and other places as well. But just just something that if you ever want to see some people goofing around, impersonating each other, Rob Sestrinino does a pretty good Jeff Probst. Yes, very, very fun scene that I, uh, you know, I, uh, as much as I watched the scene, uh, not the scene, the uh, episodes back when I was watching these over and over again, go through, finish the season and then go through all the bonus footage. So I have watched that many times as well. Yeah. So the second episode, Panicked, Desperate, Thirsty as Hell from February 5th in 2004. It, like I said earlier, only four days after episode one on their typical Thursday time. A lot of this episode is the survival aspect of everything. It's been raining. All three tribes are drinking the water from the sky because none of them have made fire yet. Something that's actually different than current Survivor is when you go to tribal council nowadays, if you haven't made fire, they'll let you take the fire home, but they do not do that back in this season. So even though Saboga went to to tribal council, they had to leave their torches there because they had not made fire on their own yet. (laughs) Interesting that all these tribes kind of treat this rain situation a little differently. Shapira is singing, they're happy, they're jovial, they're, you know, Rob Sesternino says, you would have thought that it was champagne falling from the sky considering how we were acting. Whereas the other two tribes are a little bit more mixed in terms of just mostly being cold and grumpy about the situation. Yeah, I mean, how much water are you supposed to drink in a day? Like a gallon, three gallons? Like I don't know what they recommend these days. They were not drinking anywhere near the amount of water that they should have been. And we're at least three days in by, you know, the first tribal council comes by three days in and then we get back to camp. The next day is when we really start to see that they're suffering. Imagine going four days with a very limited amount of water being into your body. That's just not any kind of condition where any human being is able to to function. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, like, do you, <laughs> do you know the details on like how long a human can go without water? I know with food, it's like a week or something like that, but uh, it definitely can't be that long for water. And uh, I, I'm sure that like they were probably taking like little sips maybe of the water that they knew they weren't supposed to drink because your body literally needs to have something. But you know, nobody was taking a glass or a glass, a coconut full of water at, besides uh, Sue and Rudy and, and putting it into their system. They were all just so depleted. And that's like, you know, people knock um, Survivor these days because it just doesn't seem as hard. But you can see, you know, not that they're far into the show at this point. They're still only eight seasons in, but uh, they are pretty much struggling with uh, with the elements. Yeah, I think that most of their water that they were getting the first four or so days was from like coconut milk or coconut water. You see them drinking some of that at different points, but I'm sure that's still nowhere near as much as you need in the day. I've I've tried to do some of those like apps that will tell you how much you're supposed to drink, and I just find at some point it's it's too much water. But that's just me. So I live in a little bit of a constant state of dehydration, but <laughs> definitely not what they're what they're at. 
in this in this game. Yes. So yeah, so the rain is a uh, is a factor. You already start to see that the Saboga tribe in particular, and we'll get get more into that uh, later on in the season. But they do not handle rain well. Neither does the Mogo Mogo tribe for the most part. Richard Hatch seems to be fine with it, but and he kind of brings up the point of you know if you're just outside walking around, it's not that bad. It's when you're trying to stay dry that you end up being colder in general. Yeah, and when you're walking around in wet clothes, uh, you're pr- probably pretty miserable. But when you're walking around in no clothes, it probably is a pretty big game changer. Probably. Yeah, he should have been on Game Changers for just that one fact alone. Yes. Mm. So they all get a box with three padlocks on it that, you know, says to keep dry and it's very valuable. And I another great Boston Rob moment of him just saying, hey, why don't we just disregard these rules and just take the machete to the box and open it up? I, I love that moment. Everyone else is all, oh, no, no, we got to gotta follow the rules and uh do you do you think they would have allowed him to open it like what do you think would have happened they had to know when they dropped off those boxes that there's a chance that somebody will open it i mean it's also earlier on in the season so maybe they think that people are going to follow the rules like they haven't really had uh much of a you know reason to i mean it's not like johnny fairplay is there if johnny fairplay is there then you expect okay 100 percent this box is getting open before it should but i don't know i, I guess like you know all stars they're kind of looking around they're they're being a little bit more cautious i mean they had to have the idea that it could happen. Uh, and I think if they did it, I don't know. I don't know. Like, would they have punished them? I, maybe they would have said, like, you can't play for the reward since you already opened it or something. You can't play for any reward until the rice is caught. I, I don't know. That's probably... It's interesting that you say that it would be so different nowadays. I, I guess we just haven't really had a whole lot of opportunities for people to blatantly break the rules. I know Rob Sesternino has said that there were certain rules about, like, they found some driftwood or something and they weren't allowed to use it as part of their pallet. They found, like, a wooden pallet, but they weren't allowed to use it as part of their shelter. So I think maybe if they had opened it, they would have just said, no, we're going to give you another one with locks on it. Don't open it this time or something or just taking away the rice. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how they would have added that to the editing of the show, but but, but I want to uh, upset pretty boy pros. Yeah, I know. Can't can't upset him. Um, so all right, we've come into two episodes. Time for a reward challenge. It's a uh, building staircase challenge. A little bit different than the building staircase challenge that Rob infamously wins in season twenty two when he's literally carrying his family on his back. Mm. But but this one, they just mostly have to do like that group swimming out. Uh, and, and having one tribe mate sit out after each round. So one person is having to swim all five times and to get these big, heavy bundles of wood out of the water. So it's it's a very similar setup to the first challenge of, you know, swimming, getting heavy things, bringing them back in. Yeah, and, you know, the same, same as the first challenge. It's nothing too, uh, you know, visually stunning or something that gets you super excited. But, you know, perfectly fine challenge. I have no issues with it. And, uh, you know, we uh, end up getting a result that is uh, pretty good if you don't like seeing people completely miserable and losing every single challenge. Yeah, so Saboga wins. Maybe they should have held on to some of that strength until the immunity challenge. Maybe they burned a little bit too much of a here. Wouldn't have hurt. Uh, yeah. Interesting that the challenge was actually for blankets, but they kind of do a little bit of a, hey, you guys are starving cop out where they, they say, okay, you can forego the blankets and get a pot to make rice in with a clue to your first key to open your, your box that's going to have rice in it. 
and flint to make fire. So, uh, but the, the downside is if you accept that deal, all three tribes get it. Right, kind of a no-brainer. Yeah, exactly. It's the way of saying, uh, so we need to make sure you guys get flint because otherwise you're all going to die in like the next day. So take this offer and forget the blankets ever existed. Yep. So they all take it. And uh, this also leads to one of my other favorite deleted scenes, which is all, all of the tribes basically go back to camp and start boiling water instantly in their new pots they've gotten. But the clue is written on the pot. And I know that the Shapira tribe, um, they sort of read the clue and then they make water in their pot, not realizing that the smoke from the fire is going to basically erase the clue written on the outside of their pot. And they don't really know where to go then to try and find that key. Uh, And do they care? They really don't seem to care, I think. Uh, Rob is probably thinking like, I'm going to smash this box open eventually anyway, so whatever. Yeah. Whereas uh, the Mogamogo tribe, I know they get the key and this is another little bit of Richard Hatch saying, you know, none of this, this making fire, building shelter, finding the key, it's not important important to me. It's all extraneous. It's outside of the game. I'm in game mode. The game is the interpersonal reactions and the strategy and this is not important to me. So I've always found that interesting that Richard Hatch, even though he was the winner of the very first season, he, from the start, was not really there for the adventure and the survival aspect. He was just there for the gameplay. Yeah, and I mean, like, he was, but also, like we've said, he like he knew the writing was on the walls and he kind of knew what was going to end up happening to him at some point in the game. So, I don't know. I, I, I Like I said, I, I don't think he's taking everything super seriously. This is a fun scene. Uh, it, it's like an idol hunt before an idol hunt. Uh, was ever even a thing. The fact that they're all like, they get this clue and they're off searching to find the key for the box. Uh, you know, it, it was interesting to see that they were going off for, for a hunt, I guess, for a, back of, a lack of a better word. I was like, uh, this does not feel like it should have been happening in season eight. I think the main difference is they're doing it as a tribe and there's no reason for anyone to run off and yeah, grab it. I mean, I, idol hunts as a tribe aren't, you know, completely rare or anything like that these days. That'll happen every once in a while. So just like I said, just like the, the idea that people were going to look for something in the jungle. I was like, oh, we're doing this already? I forgot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they all make all make fire, all get a little bit of water. It's good for them. Everybody gets fueled up for the immunity challenge, which, hey, look, it's getting something heavy out of the water and then some swimming. <laughs> this this challenge is just a, a huge mess. All three tribes are pretty equal, even in the getting their boat out from under the water, which has a bunch of heavy stuff in it. But one tribe, Shapira, kind of just, you know, they dump out the water from their boat, they get in the boat, they go to shore. The other two tribes, though, they are trying to swim with their boats full of water and their boats are sinking as they're going. Uh, which might be a little bit of a metaphor as the, uh, as both uh, both of those tribes uh, will not have as much success as Shapira in the overall picture of the game. So take that for what Yeah, I think Shapira, you know, they, they all have these big personalities and back at camp, there may be some tension uh, with the egos, but when it comes to the challenges, they really do just kind of put up and shut up and, or shut up and put up, whatever the yeah, correct I mean, Rob, term of that is. Sesternino is, is smart. He knows who to listen to. Uh, you know, if, if he's not the one calling direction, Tom is a workhorse. Sue is perfectly fine in the challenges. You know, it's not like she's as lazy in, the, in those as she is at camp. And then you have Robin and Alicia who are super petty, so you know, it worked out pretty well. For yeah, and even, even interestingly in this challenge that Sheehan and Alicia are the ones to sit out, kind of surprised that Amber wasn't, but I think in the previous challenge, Amber had done a good job with the swimming leg. Lots of lots of swimming. And I know that there's, I know that there are some pretty serious reasons of why Survivor doesn't do as much just kind of intense swimming nowadays. They're, they've had some accidents in the past with that. So I understand it, but it, it is, it does add to this sort of gritty realism 
realism. Um, there's there's also just a little bit less commentary during the challenges, more music, and and you really get to look at it. That being said, I did fast forward through some of the challenge stuff when we're doing this rewatch. Fair enough. I uh, you know could see myself bumping up the speed a little bit on the uh, next time, but for now, you know, it's just such a slow paced episode. I'm enjoying it at the time. So Saboga loses again to absolutely no one's surprise. Uh, even though Ethan had done well in the previous challenge, Rupert and Jenna are a little bit annoyed that Jerry and Ethan seem to be the ones on this challenge kind of getting water in the boat and not paying attention and just being being so... Uh, I, I guess they were, they, were, they were kind of being a little bit more let's just get it done and not really being smart and thinking it through of, of what needed to be done. Um, Ethan, it's sad, he tries to spearfish to gain some clout in, in this tribe uh, but Rupert shows him up on that which is a, a fun through line from Rupert's previous season as well um, and and so it comes down to this choice between do we get rid of you know Ethan because he's the other winner or Rudy who has hurt his foot and is clearly the weakest link in this tribe yeah at this point I mean Jenna you, you and your little uh, winner voting out the winner strategy is, is fun and all but it's fun for her at, at the very least this really shouldn't have been a tough decision for anybody uh you know it seems to be like it was for rupert considering he did vote for ethan uh but you know you got you you already lost two challenges like two immunity challenges there's no way you can take the risk of bringing rudy any further i think uh richard was the one to say in this episode like i'm surprised rudy wasn't the first one out like that's where he thought that they were going even though he probably knew the winners were in trouble uh it still makes the most sense to take the weakest link out which was rudy it took them an extra tribal council to get to this point but they're not going to make that same mistake yeah yeah, and when it comes to Rupert not wanting to vote Rudy out, I think he gets a pass on this one. I don't think his tribe is going to blame him because he was so open with the fact that he had made a bond with Rudy and had promised he wasn't going to vote him out. And so he, you know, this would have been a little different if it was a situation where Rupert's vote was the swing vote and it really mattered. But since it didn't matter, I don't think it really, I don't think anyone holds it against him. Yeah, I'm uh, of the same mindset there. So not yeah, so there's, there's not a whole lot of suspense going into this tribal council most of the questions are sort of oh do we do we keep the tribe strong or do we just get ethan out because he's a winner rudy does seem a little bit surprised though i you know these first two episodes from the viewer perspective it's not really a blind side who's going home everyone's a little bit more upfront with their plans um i I think rudy obviously (laughs) i I don't i don't know if they told rudy going into it hey we're all voting you out didn't seem like it yeah yeah. He says in his closing confessional, uh, they told me a few hours ago that I was good, and now this happened, so uh, I'd look out if I were them. I, uh, I got a lot of friends. Yeah, yeah, I love Rudy threatening to <laughs> harm people. Threatening um, to literally have his friends kill every single one of them as soon as they get back. Yeah, and, and some stuff I know from the, the pre-jury trip that Rudy was not the biggest fan of uh, Ethan from, mm. from this, I think, since Ethan was the one who stuck around instead of him. Fair enough, but you know what, Rudy, we love you anyway uh you know whether you're fourth place or uh second one out so uh, you'll always hold a special place in uh, every film. definitely so looking back at these first two episodes they they really do feel kind of like a joint premiere for me it's it's a lot of talking about the elements a lot of talking 
about being thirsty and needing to make fire and sort of that good classic stuff. You get to see all of your favorites again. Well, it was a bummer to see Tina go for sure. And, and Rupi has, Rupi, Rudy has his, Rupi, Rudy, Rudy has his fans. You, we, we don't lose anyone. I, I still feel like we have a lot of really big characters left. And so it, it wasn't, uh, wasn't too much of a downer for the beginning. It, it, the gameplay is definitely going to step up pretty soon once, once they go into the tribe dissolving twist there. I can't even really call it a tribe swap that's coming up next. And that's where you get a little bit more interesting gameplay. But what did you think overall of the, the two first episodes? Yeah, I, I, it's like a slow start. Uh, and I agree, you know, having Tina and Rupi both go out, uh, I want to only <laughs> call him that, both go out here. You know, it's somebody's got to go first. And, and I it's easy to say that now. But then when like two of my favorites go home on season 40, I'm just going to be devastated and want to stop watching the season. But, you know, don't the, worry, they'll be at Extinction Island. That's true. <laughs> uh, but, uh, the re- you know, this cast is so strong in so many different ways that, you know, you can kind of afford to lose those two so early in the game. The next coming episodes are where things are really going to start to pick up. Things are going to get pretty emotional, uh, you know, not really in a good way in either aspect of like upcoming events uh, before we start to get back to like somewhat of gameplay, uh, I guess a little bit later on towards the merge. But honestly, that's a lot of those things that are coming up are really what made me realize that Survivor wasn't just like another television show. It was something that could pull out those kind of emotions from you. Uh, so I'm excited to get into that. And, you know, because even like I said, you know, I watched the show as a 10 year old, even as a 10 year old to just be able to watch this and know and and somewhat feel the pain that these people were going through or feel, you know, whether it was Jenna or Sue in the later episodes. And, and you know, you understand that she's going through something and not in a good place. Uh, and you just can feel that whether you're 10 or 100 watching the show, you know, it's uh, it's something special about Survivor that, uh, you know, even in the dark moment, you can kind of, you know, you realize what the show is or why the show is been on the air for all these years so excited to get to those you know fun talking about these first two episodes our favorite season uh, is still plenty more ahead yeah so uh, the next time back we're gonna cover the next seven exits from the game which is really the next five vote outs and it is the the, the dark ages of Survivor All-Stars but definitely some interesting gameplay and then after that we'll go through the merge and then like I said before we're gonna go end everything on the, the final five and and get our winner, look at Rob and Amber's games, and, and see really how they're going. Ethan's going to be out in this next chunk, so we'll talk about him for a little bit longer to see how much comparison there is, but unfortunately it's hard to come back from this losing streak from the beginning for him. Um, Alright, well that's that's all for this time. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back next time to look at the rest of the pre-merge portion of the game. We've got tribe swaps, we've got bamboozles, got people maybe or maybe not trying to keep their promises. Feel free to leave any questions, comments, or feedback on our website, KowskiCast.com, that's cow with a K, or on the KowskiCast Twitter. You can also send me any kind of commentary on my Twitter page, at Frail Mary, and you can follow me everywhere online, at Frail Mary. You can also follow Matt online, at Matt Ligori. Matt, do you have any other places you want people to check you out? Nope, Twitter's uh, Twitter's where we are uh, doing our stuff. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, Twitter's good. <laughs> I'm glad that anyone's listening to us for basically just fanning out about this this favorite season and trying to make it relevant when really we just want to go back and wa- rewatch season eight. Yeah, uh, you know it's a it's a self self serving project. We, we know here. we're crazy <laughs> and we know that you're thinking that we're crazy, but we're gonna do this anyway. And uh, you can listen or not listen, but please listen. Yeah, yeah, and and like I said, give us uh give us all your takes if you've got some some love or even some hate. We'll we'll be interested to talk about that for for people who who may be with us or the majority.
majority who aren't <laughs> on this season. Yes. All right. Well, uh, until next time. We kept it under two hours.